Good day, I'm Anne Dolenshek and welcome back to Coffee Conversations about Influencer Marketing. This episode aims to demystify and clarify the rules and regulations around influencer partnership disclosure. To do just that is my guest, Rupa Shah, founder and director of Hashtag Ad Consulting, who lives and breathes this topic. She works closely with influencers, their managers, ad agencies, tech platforms and brand owners across the globe to embed compliance throughout the marketing process and ultimately to help brands and influencer marketers protect their reputation. We discuss why disclosure in influencer posts are important for brands and influencers. Do consumers understand the labels influencers use to disclose their brand partnership? Does public naming and shaming work? And other burning questions. A quick thank you to this episode's sponsor, Coffee Monster. This app ensures that you get your coffee whether you're in a rush, in an afternoon slump, or simply need your caffeine fix on the go. It allows you to order and pay for your beverage from your favorite barista or discover a new spot in your area while collecting loyalty points across all stores. Location services will notify the barista when to have your beverage ready so that you can pick it up or have it delivered to your car or office in the blink of an eye. Download the app today from your app store. Hi Rupa and thank you so much for joining us today. We are extremely excited to chat to you about everything regulation and disclosure in the influencer marketing space. To start off, please can you introduce yourself to our listeners who might not be as familiar with you as we are in the industry. Hi Anne, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I am Rupa Shah, I'm founder and director of Hashtag Ad Consulting. Um, That's a London firm that provides guidance and training to everyone involved in influencer marketing on the rules for influencer marketing. So that's the regulations, um, mostly that come out of the ASA um, here in the UK, but I also provide advice and training to global brands um, and marketers across the world on, on just how to comply with all of those kind of confusing disclosure regulations and, and all of that that applies to um, the posts that they're putting out on social. Fantastic. So you are exactly the right person to demystify some of our confusion around all of this. So. so Rupa, up to about three or four years ago, influencers weren't actually required to be transparent about their brand partnerships. So why is this all of a sudden a thing and why is it so important these days? See, that's a really interesting question because I think it's a bit of a misconception that nobody had to do anything, you know, up until a couple of years ago. Certainly, at least here in the UK and for most of the the regulatory bodies around the world, there were already rules in place for um, anyone involved in marketing to make clear that their ads looked like ads. But I think it's only just been in the couple of years, last few years, when influence marketing's really taken off, that um, these rules have come to the forefront and um, we're starting to notice things like hashtag ad or hashtag sponsored being used. But actually, like I said, these rules were there. They were just being applied to other media. So, you know, the traditional media and print and advertising, it it was always important for advertising to be clearly advertising but it's only now that it's yeah like I said it's being taken up by influencers and we're starting to see disclosure labels appear. Then who made this decision that now influencers should also 
as with other advertising methods or channels, should also now start adding these labels? Well, I think it's it's a kind of a combination of the fact that the rules, like I said, already existed for other media, but also the fact that consumers began complaining and there was confusion. So, for example, in the UK, the ASA started around about five, five, six years ago, started to receive more and more complaints, both from consumers themselves, but also other um other bloggers and and within the industry from people who felt that influencers were not being entirely truthful about the fact that they were accepting these endorsements. So the decision hasn't necessarily been taken by one particular body to to just start doing it. It's almost been reactive to what the industry has been doing. And the regulators are now starting to realise that to stop people being misled or confused, they really need to start taking action and investigating those complaints. So I think you said something really interesting that people within the industry, other bloggers, other influencers kind of picked up on on people not disclosing or other influencers not disclosing their partnerships. And therefore also some consumers started complaining who picked it up. But there's obviously a big part of our population that isn't that experienced in our industry who won't always notice whether something is an ad or, or whether it's not. So to that, does the general population even understand the labels that influencers are adding in any case. That's a really good question because I know when we're working in the industry, it's sometimes really difficult to, to put ourselves in the positions of, of the consumer. So what you and I understand by terms like affiliate um, doesn't necessarily translate across to the average consumer who's just scrolling through their feed and doesn't know you know, what the industry are doing. Um, in the UK, the ASA over here conducted some research um, a couple of years ago to try and really dig down and find out what under, uh, consumers understood by all of those different labels that influencers were using. And it was really interesting research because as it turned out, there wasn't a lot that they do understand. And actually, it was only really labels like advertisement or ad or hashtag ad that they do understand stand, which I mean, personally, I found a little bit surprising. But you know, the the aim of these disclosure labels, of course, is to really make people understand that there's a commercial relationship between the influencer and the brand. So I suppose it makes sense in a way to use something that says advertisement. But you know, you're right, there are so many different labels being used that I think it's fair to say that a lot of them aren't necessarily understood, some more than others, and it will be really dependent on each territory and each country as well. In South Africa, we see a lot of influencers trying to get around those labels that we have to use. So they'll create their own, something like hashtag gifted products. It sometimes is a bit misleading because I think they do it because they think if they use hashtag ad or hashtag sponsored, that the algorithm might work against them. So does that made up kind of hashtags kind of comply? And is it enough to tell a consumer that, look, this is a partnership? I mean, to be honest, like with the UK research, it seems to suggest that the consumers aren't as savvy or as you know knowledgeable as we would like them to be. So I can understand, you know, this this desire to use slightly different labels, if not just to personalise it or or to use your own tone of voice. And there is leeway to do that. So if you're if as an influencer, you want to say in your first line, I was gifted this product by they sent it to me for free by, you know, so and so. That's okay as long as it's absolutely clear and prominent. But in terms of whether, um, you know, using hashtag ad is really going to work against you algorithm wise, I'm not sure that's necessarily true because all of the platforms support, um, you know, advertising. In fact, they absolutely encourage different types of advertising as long as it's clearly disclosed. So I think it's really unlikely that you would 
you know, you'd see any detriment from using the correct labels. So that's great news because I think there's always been a lot of confusion around that. Do you have to use hashtag ad? Do you have to use hashtag sponsored? Even though you've said in your in your copy that, you know what, this is a sponsored piece of content. Um, this has been gifted to me f- um, freely by so-and-so brand. But then I suppose that also leads to a bit more murky waters where people are then then well, then no one should use the hashtags if this is the case. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where we absolutely don't want to end up in a case where people aren't using them. I think, mm-hmm. you know, as long as there is some kind of disclosure that is clear and understandable by consumers, I mean, there's always going to be, all of the regulators will allow a certain amount of leeway and they're going to let you, you use things in your own tone of voice. And, and you could put, for example, a disclosure in an image, that would be okay. But I think you just have to be really careful about, taking it that step too far where you're trying to hint that you've been given it for free but that's not a business relationship because I think all of the regulators across the globe are in you know are in agreement that actually being gifted something is still a a business relationship so you really really do need to make that clear to your followers. No absolutely and I suppose that is that that age-old question like where is that line? I mean we would love our influencers to rather just err on the side of caution and put those those hashtags in at the end of yeah. the day yeah no it's got it's always got to be the thing and, and like I said hashtags are great as long as you're kind of not burying them in in the bottom of or in the middle of a list of, of tons of hashtags um it's a perfect way to do it but yeah yeah lots of other ways as well no absolutely so I know from influencer side that people are obviously wanting them to add these these hashtags but when you are a brand I know a lot of brands are very scared that they will come across a lot less authentic if they do this or they ask their influencers to add these hashtags to their campaigns or their content. Is that a valid concern for brands? No, I don't think so. I think, I mean, if we're talking about authenticity and we're talking about um, presenting both the brand and the influencer as being in a true, genuine collaboration, then um, it's probably more detrimental to try and hide that relationship. And certainly from a, a consumer's point of view, I want to know that there's a relationship. And if I've been following an influencer because, you know, I've really enjoyed their organic content, if they've chosen to partner with a brand and it makes sense and it, it's, it, you know, it truly doesn't stick out in the feed as something that they wouldn't normally do, then there's absolutely no reason why then, you know, putting a hashtag ad or making it absolutely clear that there is a brand partnership should make me as a follower want to not, you know, be part of that journey anymore I think it's you know there's absolutely no reason why brands should ever discourage their influencers from from including these labels I absolutely agree with you and to your point if you've been following someone forever in a day and they're one of your favorite influencers I think people get really excited when they get to do brand partnerships with obviously brands that make complete sense they're kind of rooting for them and it also I feel like lends a bit of credibility to the brand if they have used someone that you absolutely love they might have just like kind of tapped into a whole new audience that they didn't even know existed yeah exactly and that's that's it isn't it it's, it, that's the key to it is getting that partnership right and you know doing your due diligence and as a brand and finding the right influencer who really fits with your ethos making sure that they are you know are exactly right and they they're, they're all of the things that they really care about match your expectations as a brand so then Rupa where does the responsibility lie is it with a brand or the agency who is kind of conceptualizing this campaign or is it with the influencers to make sure that they use these correct labels that they do disclose 
that they are in this brand partnership. Well, if we look at it from the regulator's perspective, it's a joint responsibility. So just as in South Africa and and across the other sort of self-regulatory organisations across the globe, the responsibility lies with both the brands to make clear disclosures in all of the posts, as well as the influencer. Now, I know for practical reasons, it's quite often the influencer who will be, you know, hitting the post button. But actually, there is that level of responsibility for the brand to make sure that they are educating their influencers. And, you know, whether you do that via the contract or via your emails backwards and forwards to them. But as a brand, you should be making it clear to the influencer that these are their responsibilities. These are the disclosures you expect them to use where you want them to use them. Um, And if they need further help, provide that guidance or provide it, you know, provide links to the, the guidance that your regulator might provide. I think it's really important because actually as a brand you've got those resources and and sometimes influencers don't have the capacity to be able to find out where everything is but yeah in technical terms if there's a ruling published for example against a a misleading post it's both the influencer and the brand who are liable for that post. I think that's really important to point out because I think a lot of the times the influencers get scolded and the brands not so much in the public eye but it comes down to the fact and you're right that the brand should be crystal crystal clear that that expectation is there so that no one gets like a reputational issue going yeah yeah no I completely agree I mean it's a question I'm asked you know why don't I work with influencers more but but it's because I think that the um the responsibility really is more so on the brand and you're right sometimes they can seem to escape it more particularly if the influencer you know they might be a reality tv celebrity they're the ones that will hit the news and it's less so the brand um so yeah now I just think it's it is important as a brand and, and they need to accept that responsibility it's gonna it could hit their reputation as well and you know that can lead to financial damages for them so it's in everyone's interest for them to to make sure they they educate the influencer too no absolutely I think the key there is that education is so key and it's kind of needs to be everyone educating everyone all of the time not just the owners on like one body or one brand to do that yeah no I completely agree so in South Africa, we have the Advertising Regulatory Board, which we kind of call the ARB, um, and they're the ones who's responsible for drawing up the guidelines via influence disclosure, um, but they're also very reactionary. And I noticed you said that in your previous point as well, that um, not all these bodies are proactive. So in my mind then, no one is, oh, and I hate this word, but no one's policing influences or their content. And I suppose it's kind of impossible because it's just vast amounts of content out there 24-7. So for us, we see that the public obviously have that responsibility to call people out and then report it to our ARB who then kind of investigates. But is this something that's common elsewhere? Is there many, many countries who don't have like a board who is more proactive? I think it's, yeah, yeah, it's it's very typical what the ARB, you know, how they work um, across the board. So, I mean, in the UK, we've got quite a, a well-established and quite large comparative self-regulatory system for advertising. But still, in terms of the monitoring side of things, they just don't have the resources to be actively, you know, checking out all of these different social media posts to see if they're clearly disclosed. And don't forget, actually, it's really difficult to tell um, sometimes if there has been a branded you know, commercial deal because 
if you don't know it's there, you don't know it's there. It's one of those strange things that you, you can't always be certain of until you have the information. So to monitor this type of um, issue is quite tricky. But yeah, no, you know, I, I worked at the ASA here in the UK for 13 years. And yes, part of our role was monitoring. But in reality, if you think about the size of the internet and how many posts go out, you know, you, it's a drop in the ocean. And so I think it would be, you know, unfair in a way to pick out the ARB for not doing enough when actually across the globe, it's very, very similar. No, it's absolutely impossible to monitor everyone's news feeds for influencer work. And like you say, sometimes it's really hard to pick up. So who do you actually pick on and who don't you? So I suppose monitoring from the public side makes a lot of sense. From where I'm sitting, a lot of the times that then means a lot of posts on social media are going up by various people of the public, naming and shaming influencers and brands. And I don't always think this is a healthy way to approach this. But in your experience, does this actually work? Yeah, yeah, it does. And I think what's key there is definitely the fact that you know, it's a, it's a tried and tested approach for all of the self-regulatory organisations across the globe. Um, they do it on purpose. It's, you know, the naming and shaming is is literally listed as one of their sanctions. They don't tend to impose fines. What they will do is just, you know, publish these rulings against the brands and the influencers. And they tend to, at least in the UK, there might be a little bit more focus on those influencers that are already in the, you know, public spotlight. So the reality TV celebs, it can be frustrating because it means you can get a lot of negative publicity about one sector but it's useful in a way because you know that the journalists and the press are always going to pick up on those rulings and that means that that you know the point of law that the ASA are trying to talk about or the the code rule that they're trying to really explain hits the headlines and then everybody consumers the industry they'll all start to understand okay so this is what you're meant to be doing or this is you know these are the hashtags that they should have used right I understand now so it's kind of that educational part to it as well as the naming naming and shaming yeah, I mean, it, it's a really good tool. And all of the regulators are now getting very good at making sure that they are using the tools that are available to them, whether that's SEO, they optimize their rulings to make sure that, you know, if you search for a particular brand, you, you actually end up, you know, landing on the, the ruling instead of the actual brand page, those types of things. So yeah, naming and shaming, it can seem unfair, but it's, it's deliberate. And it's, the, it's a way of making the industry comply. Coffee Conversations about Influencer Marketing is brought to you by Influential, a strategic consultancy that takes the guesswork out of influencer marketing for your brand. We provide much-needed strategically crafted frameworks on how to implement influencer campaigns specific to your brand needs. I never actually thought about it that way, and that makes complete sense to me now. It's a way to educate consumers, influencers, but then I really didn't know about the SEO part <laughs> where if you're searching a brand, you're getting to the to the ruling. That is crazy. Yeah, so when I was at the ASA, we learned these nifty little tricks. They have a they have a budget with Google, so they can um yeah, they can put budget towards, you know, improving their rankings for their own um rulings. They have a particular page which is like their wall of shame page where they put advertisers and brands on there that who, you know, they're really struggling to get them to comply. And again, that's optimized so that if you search for those brands you should be kind of hitting their page instead and as you know as a brand that's really not what not what you want and it's a good way of getting them to comply that's definitely not what you want as a brand so look if that doesn't put you off then I don't think much yeah. will <laughs> exactly it can be better than a financial penalty it's you know it's the reputation it's potentially your share price dropping which they've seen so yeah it's a good way of doing things absolutely so you've completely convinced me that that's a good thing now because I'm always like I just see people naming and shaming 
really is this a a good way of doing it but not yeah yeah it's, an, it's, a, it's a strategy it's a tried and tested strategy for them so when we look at influencer marketing it's obviously mostly digital and say i'm a brand in south africa and i want to advertise or promote something to an audience in the uk perhaps obviously i'm going to start using influencers that has a big uk audience and i might even use a south african that that's popular over there but now i'm a bit confused at which kind of regulations do I use? Do I use South African regulations because I'm based in South Africa, my influence are based in South Africa? Or do I use the regulations of the UK where my audience is based that I'm kind of looking to promote? That's to? a really good question. It's not a simple answer. There will be a couple of factors um, that you need to think about. So if the aim is to target UK consumers and the brand are using UK influencers um, who are based in the UK, that's one thing that the regulator bodies would consider but it's not the only thing they would also look at who their audience are so if the influencers audience are predominantly based in the UK that would be a factor and also whether that particular product or service can be purchased in the UK for example if you know the post includes the price in UK pounds for the product or it links to the UK or a UK based web page which has prices in pounds and you know easy delivery from the UK all of these are factors which kind of the regulators would think about if they received a complaint as to whether it's one for us or one to pass over to the South African authorities um, so it's a mixture of factors but you need to really think about in you know the main point to think about is who are you directing these posts at and are you aiming to sell to UK customers because if you are and you're hoping that they will start purchasing products then it's the UK regulations you need to think about but equally if also it's a it's selling you're selling to the the South African market then it's potentially a second set of regulations that you also need to think about so you could have to comply with both and that's you know it's not unusual there could be two or three you know even more markets that you really need to think about so you know for brands that end up in this position what I say is take the the, the strictest regulations regime and apply that one that is a really good rule because as you were talking i was thinking oh my gosh this could get so complicated that it might put a brand off doing influencer marketing in a in a certain kind of area but it makes completely sense take the strictest one apply that then you've kind of got your basis covered yeah, exactly and what we tend to find is that uk us germany now germany's you know a particular particularly difficult in various ways but those have some of the strictest regulations and you're, you know you're more likely to get complaints in those territories so and actually luckily generally the types of things that are acceptable in the UK are acceptable in the US so you know if you are doing this kind of multinational campaign or you know you've got consumers all over the world it's not as difficult as you, you kind of think it might be so then it leads me to thinking because influencer marketing is mostly on digital platforms do you think in the future, we will kind of see universal rules and regulations just purely because we're such a global village just to kind of simplify things. I think in some ways, you know, it sounds like the the idyllic place to be to have like one label that every social influencer could put on their post and that all brands could recommend using. But, you know, you, the difficulties, for example, in France, the ARPP, that's the self-regulatory organization over there, insists that labels must be in French. So and, and that's fair enough, right, because they think that, you know, most consumers should be able to understand what the disclosure label says and, and understand what it means. So I think in terms of if you think about all of the various countries and all of the languages, 
I don't think we'll ever be at a point where we have one label that works globally. But I think in terms of the general principles of when you need to disclose a relationship, you know, what types of business relationships have to be included, you know, should be included under these rules, there is there is a level of harmonisation. So I think we're getting to a point where most countries are generally applying similar rules and ads should look like an ad social media posts that are you know branded content should have disclosures it'll take a couple of years and I think we'll you know still start to 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 get closer to having even more similarities but not a point where everybody will be doing exactly the same thing because ultimately you've got to expect that there will be cultural differences between countries and accept that you know that should be the way it is that you know different countries in terms of all types of advertising rules should be able to allow certain things or or not allow other things whether that's to do with you know alcohol or gambling or all of these types of things so yeah you, you're never going to get one set of rules that apply for every country but certainly in terms of influence marketing and disclosures i don't think we're doing too badly in terms of you know, what we're expecting brands to to do for making it clear that they have a business relationship with their influencers no and i think it's it's the least they can do and we're getting really good at it i think as well we're such a young industry and it just will keep developing and i think it will get better and more transparent which is yeah great. yeah i agree it is a young industry and there are still you know I, I was working with someone who's working with virtual influencers recently and again you know they're talking about ways of making sure there's transparency and authenticity with regards to virtual influencers so these questions will keep coming up and there'll be new niches and we'll have to continue to talk about the best way to for consumers to understand what the industry are doing and not be misled so it's yeah it's going to be ongoing but really interesting to track where we're going with with this and I think we live in very interesting times and especially our industry it's always changing which which I absolutely love never a dull moment yeah and very resilient as we were just saying earlier it seems to be you know continuing throughout all of the problems the world's facing it's yeah it's good to be working in it So let's talk a bit about product placements. And I know this has been the bane of our industry's existence because we look at television ads uh, and product placement, even in series and movies. And there's two sets of rules for when influencers do it in their posts versus these series, movies and even adverts who kind of cross pollinate. Why are there different rules for this? Yeah, I think um, I think you know, I've kind of explained this in the past, or I've tried to explain it. And I think it's partly because um, in most countries, there've always been sort of different rules, you know, a different set of codes for TV content, as opposed to advertising content. And generally, there's never been any need to kind of harmonise them, because they were doing different things. And consumers understand different things from TV, as opposed to what they were understanding from a magazine, for example. And previously, if you had a magazine, you would you would always be able to tell where the ads were or out of home, you know, you know the difference between a billboard and, and real life. But, you know, in the last few years, social media is just blurring the lines for us. And all of those re- advertising regulators out there have scrambled to make sure that everybody can tell the difference between organic content and branded content. And so they've, you know, updated the rules, whereas TV has just stayed the way it always was in a way. Those rules haven't really changed. It's kind of product placement has slipped in and and yeah there've been a bit of an update to say well you shouldn't necessarily have it in you know or, or limitations on on when you can do it or whether you need to put a little label here or there but it's not been seen as such a, a social con- a controversial topic as much as it has with social influencers so where the self regulator organizations have have moved quickly and and fast those people that are regulating tv haven't necessarily 
you know, been able to move as quickly or, or have had the impetus to make changes to, to product placement. So at least in the UK, from our perspective, I think that's what's gone on. And so we've just ended up with this divergence where, you know, social media has become more heavily regulated. The ASA are really able to look at it, but TV, not so much. Do you think it's just kind of slipped through the cracks and the TV part of the regulations will catch up at some point? I do wonder because I think it's a question that like you've raised. I've, I've seen lots of people raise it and it frustrates, you know, the industry because like you said, it, it's not fair that they seem to have, influencers seem to have these tighter restrictions. And it's just this horrible almost combination of circumstances that's put them in this position. They're always under the spotlight and the media love to portray influencers as if they're always trying to be deceptive or, or hide things. Whereas TV is this angel and it's always doing it correctly and um, it comes under far less criticism. So will it change? Um, I think so. If people keep probing and keep pointing out the differences, then certainly those countries that have a certain number of restrictions on product placement, I think most do have some level of regulation, should take a close look and see whether they could harmonise it with what's happening on, you know, with influencers. Yeah, and I think that the day will come. It might not be in the near future, but give it a couple of years. And I think the lines will probably be even more blurred than what it is currently. Yeah, I agree. I think so. I think it will come under further scrutiny um, and then, you know, changes will have to happen. No, absolutely. So Rupa, then in your personal opinion, how would you like to see the industry more professionalised going forward? Yeah, so I think the key is, is education. Um, and it's, I mean, it's difficult for, and I understand this, for the industry to know exactly what they need to be doing when the self-regulatory organisations continually pump out new rulings. So I think what's going to be key is to understand what their expectations are. I think unionising can help because if you're, you know, trying to understand what your responsibilities are, it's easier to consult with the the regulators through an industry body. So come together and, you know, you can get this information more easily than each individual brand, you know, approaching a regulator trying to say, well, what should we be doing? What should we be doing? So I think what's important important is to to find a way whether that's through using agencies like myself or or use within your own team to understand what your responsibilities are as a brand making sure you keep up to date with them and having strategies to ensure that throughout your campaigns you are uh, ensuring that everything is compliant um, auditing from you know auditing your influencers to keeping up with monitoring what they're doing right the way through to providing them with key information in their contracts so there's that's you know what i think the responsibility or where the responsibility for the industry lies. I think that's a really, really good way of looking at it. And I think we will get there. Again, we are a very young industry and we've got a long way to go. But as far as now are concerned, we must just kind of comply with what we can and that's really all we can do. I think so. And I think, um, you know, I know we see so much negativity in the spotlight for influencers and, and the brands that are associated with them. But in terms of the volume of content that's going out, there's so much good stuff and so many brands that have been elevated through their use of influencers. So I'm sure that will continue and, and, and that will only make the industry, the influencer marketing industry, much stronger. No, absolutely. And I think you're right when you say there's so much good stuff going out there, because obviously only the bad things are always highlighted and kind of put in the spotlight. But if you look at the most amazing 
award-winning campaigns that's out there and it's so spot on and they're using the right people who's so authentic it really does elevate those brands to a whole new level and to a new completely audience that's it and I think uh, yeah so hopefully we'll see lots more awards and accolades um, you know for our industry so that we can see those examples of great stuff uh, rather than focusing on the the regulators rulings that told them what not to do no, absolutely. And I think it will happen quite soon. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I enjoy working in this industry and I know so many others do. So, yeah, absolutely. So, Rupa, sadly, we've come to the end of our conversation. And I think you have brought a lot of value to everyone listening, just demystifying this really scary word of disclosure and regulations in our industry. So thank you for thank that. Thank you for having me on. If anyone wants to kind of connect with you online to see the great work you're doing and just kind of keep up to date with everything that's going on in our industry, where can they connect with you? So um, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. So I'm always posting on there. So it's a great place to collect, uh, connect with me. I'm Rupa Shah at hashtag ad. Um, and also on my website, hashtag ad.com. I don't use Instagram that much. But yeah, if you're uh, welcome to email, email me at rupa at hashtag ad.co.uk. Amazing. Thanks again so much, Rupa. And hopefully we chat again and we get some really exciting updates of what's happening in our Love industry. Love to talk to you. Thanks, Anne.